Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am pleased to be joined by the men of the hour. Mike McDaniel from Nova. What's going on? What's up, man? How's it going? Pretty well. Ricky LeBlue, live from the beach. What is popping, bro? Tired. Just got off of work, man. Exhausted. Folks, we have an absolutely action-packed podcast today we are going to break down everything that is the long anticipated game of virginia tech and unc we are going to break down the game we're going to break down the rivalry we'll give you the keys to victory this that and the other we'll give you our acc picks against the spread as usual and then we will be joined by virginia tech defensive great luther maddie we're super excited for it We hope you are too, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. But first, we got to tell you that the Hokey Hangover podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg provides you the personalized service that you simply can't get at one of those behemoth pharmaceutical conglomerates like CVS and the others. If you want a pharmacy that treats you like a neighbor, rather than a number. If you want a pharmacy that donates to the Hokie Club, if you want a pharmacy that financially supports independent podcasts like this one, Sons of Saturday, actually pays the school and the local radio station, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Let's get this started, boys. We've had this one circled on the calendar for a while now, huh? And last year, this game seemed like a turning point. The six-overtime victory, the big Quincy Patterson run, you know, with two quarterbacks, missed field goals, multiple injuries. It was one of the most, to put it in Justin Fuente terms, gritty performances I've seen in a long, long time from this team. We come into this season, North Carolina finishes last year six and six, Virginia Tech eight and five North Carolina and their quarterback, Sam Howell and their head coach, Matt Brown, who is obviously we all know won a national championship at Texas, the current leader among active coaches in wins, a lot of hype surrounding them, a lot of hype surrounding them today. We see them at eight in the country Yes, Virginia tech going to play a team in the top 10. Mike B. Daniel. I talked to you a lot about this just in, personally and on my radio program, you seem skeptical that North Carolina is the eighth best team in the country. Do you still believe that? And tell me why. 
I think they're capable of being the eighth best team in the country, but I think to have them eighth right now is a little bit ridiculous, quite honestly. Um, they haven't really impressed. I mean, they were in a seven to six game against Syracuse in their first game of the year. It took them three scores in the fourth quarter to cover a pretty big spread against Syracuse, but that game was a lot closer than the final score would indicate. They have a couple weeks off because of um, COVID cancellations, et cetera. Um, they were supposed to play a game uh, against UNC Charlotte. They got postponed and they had their bye week. So, you know, they, they go into this game this past weekend against Boston College, a game where, once again, they should have won that game handily. And Boston College was literally around a minute left. They had just punched the ball in the end zone to make it 24 to 22. And BC had a two point conversion to get ready to try to tie the game. Um, North Carolina, of course, intercepted that two point conversion and ran it back 99 yards. Um, so it was 26 to 22. But UNC should have blown BC out of the building and they weren't able to do it. And what I've seen this week as I've kind of been reading and listening to various national podcasts leading up to this matchup with Virginia Tech and North Carolina, a lot of people are just blaming it on rust for UNC. And that could very well be the case. They could have been rusty. They hadn't played in three weeks. I get all that. But they weren't very impressive in the Syracuse game either. And look, all I've seen is their two games that they played so far. And they haven't impressed me really in either one of those games. Um, Sam Howell hasn't been the same Sam Howell that we saw last season. Mm -hmm. Their running game's pretty good. Um, I think they have a pretty good running game. And the rushing defense is getting all the hype in the world. Look, they, they went up against a 13th ranked offense in Syracuse, rushing offense in Syracuse and a 15th ranked rushing offense in Boston College in back-to-back games to start the year. I think the rushing defense stats, you know, as far as yards per game allowed and that sort of thing, I think those are a little bit skewed just based off of opponents that they've played so far. So that's the story of the game for me is can Virginia Tech run on this North Carolina defense and vice versa? Can North Carolina's defense run against Virginia Tech's or North Carolina's offense run against Virginia Tech's defense. That's the story of the game for me, especially when you look at the weather forecast and you see them calling for really bad inclement weather with rain and what have you. I think Virginia Tech not having as many guys available in the secondary because of quarantine and that sort of thing becomes less of an issue if you look at the weather and you see that it's not going to be great throwing conditions anyway. So I think this is going to be a battle up front in this game and a bit lower scoring than a lot of people expect. I definitely agree with that. And, and but also kind of feel where the national pundits are coming from. And and here's why Sam Howell came into this season with the burden of incredibly high expectations. I mean, 3,600 plus yards as a freshman, 38 touchdowns to seven interceptions just burst on the scene. The team was average. They won games that were close. They lost games to, teams like Virginia Tech and Clemson where you put a couple points here and there and last season that could have been a big time football team and I know a loss is a loss but when you're competing at that level we're going to look forward to next year and say this team is going to take a step up and you're looking at a quarterback like Sam Howell and say if this is what he did getting off the bus as a true freshman imagine what he'll look like with an entire offseason under his belt. But the problems with COVID that have happened for Virginia Tech aren't exclusive to Virginia Tech. That period of time during the spring and fall camp during the summer that Sam Howell could have kind of used as serious developmental time to fine tune his skills. He didn't have that. 
on top of that, in fall camp, in the same way that Virginia Tech's kind of been shut down and missing a lot of players, North Carolina had that too just prior. They didn't have to delay the start of their season because of it. But they're definitely not playing at full strength. Now, is the team that good? I'm not totally sure, right? Because it's still a giant question mark. They've come out and been relatively unimpressive through two games. Yes, they've won those two games. But if you look at the scores of the games alone and the way that the games have been played with Virginia Tech so far and with UNC so far, you would say Virginia Tech has had the more impressive season so far. At the end of the day, it's not only the idea that these pundits are waiting for Sam Howell to get in a groove and get going on top of the fact that UNC's momentum since hiring Mac Brown, a hire that by the way, people laughed at when it happened and no one's laughing anymore <laughs> because on the recruiting scene, they have burst into being a, a top 15 program that has dominated the scene. But when I look at UNC, I, I see a lot of question marks because is this a sophomore slump for Sam Howell? Has he plateaued where we thought he was going to grow? Or is this, you know, just waiting to get into fifth gear and we'll see that this week? That, I don't know. But Ricky, just looking at the two games that UNC has played, what's been your initial takeaway? What surprised you? What's maybe gone as planned? Well, I think that they expected the running game to be productive, maybe not quite this efficient. Um, Michael Carter is averaging, I think, almost nine yards per carry, and Javante Williams has four touchdowns in two games. So those two backs are pretty good. Um, the passing game just has not been there. I mean, if you look at Sam Howell's completion percentage, it's actually slightly above where he was last year. But he threw 38 touchdowns to seven picks last season, and right now he's 3-3 three to three in terms of his touchdown-interception ratio. They're, they're averaging five points lower than what their clip was last year through two games. So this offense, they're moving the football, but they're not scoring. And I'm not sure if it's just that Sam Howe's throwing three picks in two games, uh, but for some reason or another, th th this North Carolina offense just hasn't kicked into gear yet. Uh, defensively, they've been moderately good. The, the run defense is obviously number one right now, but if you look at – Boston College and Syracuse's rush offenses, neither of them are all that impressive. Um, their offenses in general aren't that impressive. I mean, Syracuse still hasn't replaced Eric Dungy, right? Like they, they, they're still living in two years ago where Eric Dungy was, was torturing teams in, in the Jiffy Pop Dome. So North Carolina hasn't played anyone yet, and they've looked underwhelming in both of these games. And this is the exact reason why preseason rankings are, are trash. They're all, they're all useless. Because anyone that has seriously watched North Carolina through these first two games would not vote them eighth in the country. I don't care what conferences aren't playing. North Carolina has not looked that good. Their quarterback has not played that well. Their best offensive weapon, Daz Newsom, I think has three catches. Um, they, they just haven't they, they haven't peaked. They're not even close to peaking. They're not even on the upswing. So. I think Tech and Carolina are probably relatively close. I would give the edge to Tech, though, because of how they've played in these two games and the fact that they've been missing so many starters. So I think the, the number eight ranking is seriously inflated for North Carolina. 
I would not make Carolina a five-point favorite, which is what I think today it was five and a half. I sure as hell wouldn't wouldn't pick Carolina as the favorite, and I wouldn't bet on them to cover that spread. Um, I know that they've got some talent on defense. Chas Surratt's one of the best linebackers in the conference. Uh, I can't pronounce his first name, but I'm going to give it a try. Taman Fox has four sacks and seven TFLs in two games. Their, their defense is not a joke. And we all know if Storm Duck's available, he's pretty good too. Um, but their offense has not flashed. And given how Tech's defense has looked missing so many guys, I'm moderately confident that Tech can, can keep Carolina from making this a shootout. And if that's the case, I'm going to bet on Tech to win this game. Yeah, and to play the devil's advocate, though, Tech was able to survive a Duke game like we talked about yesterday defensively, even with the people missing in the secondary. When you're going with the group of players who, I mean, just give them the list of players that was out and you show that list to someone in January and you tell me there's no way we're going to win a conference game with this guy and that guy and the entire secondary, the starting quarterback, what have you all out. But let's just say things don't go as planned with getting that defensive back unit back on the field. At that point, you got to be scared, right? Because Sam Howell's got an arm and you know, this isn't chase Bryce and this isn't Hawkman, Brady Hawkman or whatever his name is. I mean, God, he doesn't start anymore. (laughs) They've been effective on defense against a guy who is throwing more interceptions per game than anyone else. than a guy who's on the bench. Yeah. I mean, I I get your point and, and to your credit too. And I took some flack for this on Twitter saying how different that game would have looked if, if he had played the whole game, but Devin Leary, played very well against Virginia Tech in that garbage time. Now And then played well last weekend. Right? Yeah, yeah, what so uh, again for all the for all the shit I took on Twitter j- just don't don't come for the king if you ain't going if you're going to miss. Um <laughs> so look, Tech's Tech's secondary is vulnerable. Yes. I do think Tech is going to get at least one or two of those guys back this week just because w- when guys are out they're usually going to be out for 2 weeks. Hi, Mikey's dog. <laughs> um, but I'm confident in this tech pass rush to make Sam Howell's day a bit miserable. And if the weather's going to be bad, which all the forecasts are saying that it is, Carolina's passing game is not going to go as smoothly as they would like. And if this is going to be a game of mucking it up in the trenches, I'm going to go with tech to win this game because I think tech has the better offensive line. And I think Tech might have the better defensive line. I mean, looking at that offensive line, Mike, this is obviously the strength of the Virginia Tech group. Offensive line, running game, that's what we've seen so far. It's This isn't going to be a surprise to anyone. Khalil Herbert leading the country in yards per game. Virginia Tech as a team, third in the country in yards per game behind only Air Force and Army who run options. But North Carolina has not been a slouch on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to the run, allowing just two yards per rush and 54 yards per game. Does that scare you or is this more of just they didn't play anyone with a halfway decent running game? I mean, I don't really know that much about Syracuse, but I know Boston College relies a lot on throwing the ball this year. 
Yeah, I, that's a good point. I, I want to clarify some comments I made earlier um, where I said, you know, North Carolina's defense probably isn't good as it's looked. And I, I still think they're a very good defense. I, I just don't think they're like best rushing defense in the country good. Like, I still think they're probably a top three or four unit in the ACC against the run. It's not that. It's just I think their stats are a little bit inflated because of who they've played. So this is still going to be a challenge for Virginia Tech's offensive line, certainly. Um, I think this is the best front that they faced, um, both considering the defensive line they're looking at and the linebacking core. They faced a pretty good one last week against Duke, and they still ran all over them. Um, the dam eventually broke in the second half. I thought Duke's defensive line uh, did a really nice job just making life difficult on Virginia Tech's offense in the first half. Um, but the Hokies made some scheme adjustments at halftime, and there was there were more outside runs with Burmeister, um, and obviously Khalil Herbert broke a couple of long, a couple of really long runs on the outside. So there were some scheme adjustments uh, that eventually broke that dam. Um, but I think when you look at this North Carolina defense, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for Virginia Tech. I mean, the weakest part of North Carolina's defense, and ironically, right now, the weakest part of Virginia Tech's defense is the secondary. These are two very similar teams who have run the ball well through two games and who have played very good defense through two games. Um, North Carolina's top-end talent offensively through the air, um, I think, is a little bit better right now. But given the weather forecast and the way Virginia Tech's run the football, I mean, I'm with Ricky. I think that if you're going to have this game be a war in the trenches and a ball-controlled game in bad weather, I'm taking the team that's run for over 300 yards in the first two games of the season. I'm rolling with the Hokies. Um, so that's kind of how I think this is going to play out in bad weather. But this is certainly going to be a challenge for Virginia Tech's offensive line. So Delph, Adam Delph on Twitter, Delph Leopard, brought it to the attention of the Virginia Tech public today that, like you mentioned, Mike, UNC is going to be without three or four defensive backs against Virginia Tech. They came out in a 50 look against Boston College, but adjusted once they saw how much Boston College was throwing the ball. 50 front is five defenders along the defensive line. Do you guys expect that to be what Virginia Tech sees when they come out for their first drive on Saturday? Or and does that scare you if it does? Depends on who's playing quarterback. If, if you're going to trot Braxton Burmeister out there who completed nine passes out of 24 attempts last week, I wouldn't blame Carolina for doing it. Um, if Hendon Hooker's out there, the game changes. So th th this goes back to the, the conversation we had on the last pod. You have to have a quarterback who is an actual threat to pass the football on a consistent basis. I don't think Braxton Burmeister is that. I don't think Quincy Patterson is that right now. Hendon Hooker's the guy. Now, if for some reason, which again, I don't know what the reason would be at this point, Hendon Hooker needs to be the damn starter. But if Hendon Hooker's not available for this game, then you got to pick your bat, your pick your poison, right? Are you going to try and be a run heavy offense? Then I think you need to go with Quincy Patterson. If you're going to try and and run the same crap that you ran against Duke, then sure, go with Braxton and and see what happens. But yes, I would expect Carolina to load up the box in this game. But this is the importance of having Hendon Hooker as your starter. Because I, I think Hendon can be a defense that's severely loaded up front. I think at this point, it comes down to Hendon will be the starter if Hendon can be the starter. But why, why couldn't he be the starter at this point? I mean, he was injured before he had COVID, so that's an injury plus two weeks. It's hard to just trot someone out there with. Hey, for, from what I from what I understand, he was not at the playing weight that 
the team wanted him to be at due to him missing some time. So I don't know what he was getting checked for pre COVID. Um, but there was some, something that made him not game ready. And I don't think, I think he was working his way back last week and I think he's close now. It's a matter of whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to go. I mean, what Justin Fuente is saying, he's full go. That's a lot different than what we had heard previously, other than after the Duke game where he said, oh, yeah, he was good. But it wasn't really that clear cut. If he's a full go, then he Monday, needs to play. And if he's full go, he needs to play. We all agree on that. Thousand percent. I think that's – thousand percent. Yep, totally with you guys. Okay, so just looking at the, the, the larger picture here, Virginia Tech, some of the better players on this team, Hendon Hooker, Dax Hollyfield, Trey Turner, for that matter, all recruited out of the state of North Carolina. That's when Larry Fedora was the coach. Larry Fedora is no longer the coach. Not only did Justin Fuente inherit this program and immediately start hating Larry Fedora in North Carolina, now there's direct recruiting competition, a competition that Virginia Tech, quite frankly, is no longer winning. How important is it for Virginia Tech to upkeep this winning streak against the Heels? Considering Tech is is struggling in North Carolina, I think it, it certainly would help. Um, I, just based upon coaches I've talked to in the past, they've always kind of downplayed the results of individual games. Um, but there, th- there's been a rivalry brewing between these two schools uh, really since 2015 when Carolina ruined Frank Beamer's final home game in Lane Stadium. There's been a lot of hatred for UNC since that point and then it only got worse um when tech fans found or at least there was a rumor that went around i haven't been able to independently confirm it but the going rumor was that unc was saying some some kind of low blow things in the negative recruiting department um i won't get into this uh get into into the specifics uh but that kind of upped that hatred a little bit and since then this has been a game that tech fans have circled every single season because they want to beat the hell out of UNC. Um, so yeah, th- this game is going to carry a certain importance every year just for that reason. It's not quite on the UVA level where there's all sorts of stuff that goes with that, but um, this game is always going to mean a tad more than maybe like a, a Wake Forest or a, a Duke or maybe even a Boston College uh, just because of the the recent battles that Tech and, and UNC have had head-to-head on the trail, what's happened off the field, things of that nature, this game's always going to carry a bit more weight, I think. Gentlemen, last thing I have for you here, key player for the game. What's your, what's your major key to the game for Virginia Tech? Yeah, I mean, my, my key to the game is Virginia Tech's defensive front against North Carolina's rushing attack. I think Virginia Tech's done, generally speaking, a pretty good job against the run this year. Um, you know, with all the guys they've been missing and stuff like that in the secondary. And um, I think they've done a pretty good job up front of getting enough pressure on the quarterback and that sort of thing. But against the run, they've had some missed tackles here in the first couple of games, some plays that could have been negative plays um, from a rushing standpoint. And, you know, these guys are able to shake loose and pick up four or five yards when maybe they should have been stopped in the backfield in a rainy day, like a rainy day and in, in a situation where it's going to be really bad inclement weather, it becomes all the more imperative that you wrap up and tackle. And I think Virginia Tech's front seven, if there's one area of improvement I could see over the first couple of weeks of the season, that would be it. 
So my key to the game is Virginia Tech's defensive front, the front seven against North Carolina's offensive line, North Carolina's backs, because I think it's going to be really important to make sure they wrap up in the rain. All right, Ricky, looks like we're actually pressed for time here. Mike's laptop is dying, so it's time to get to our AC. Damn it, Mikey. <laughs> time to get to our if you're, a- No, he can give, he can give his key. He can give, give it real quick so I can look at it. All right, it's cliche. I'll make it fast. Take care of the football. This game's going to be too close for you to turn it over. All right, the first game we got in our ACC picks. I did not take the time to do the final standings. I will do that while we are picking, see if I can update it after last week, but we all did pretty terrible. Um, First game, Friday, Louisville travels to Georgia Tech. Louisville, four-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to take Louisville. I mean, Georgia Tech's had a bunch of turnover issues. The weather doesn't look like it's going to be particularly good at Bobby Dodd. Um, so give me Louisville just because I don't trust Georgia Tech with a freshman quarterback in, in bad weather. Louisville needs to wake up. I'm going with the cards. We'll go across the board. I, I We'll see. I, I want to see how this Louisville team looks without their quarterback. Um, NC State, coming off a victory over Pitt, travels to UVA. UVA, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Virginia. Um, I think they win in cover. I think they're the better team. I, I think Pittsburgh shot themselves in the foot a ton last week, giving NC State more opportunities than they probably deserved. But this is going to be an opportunity for NC State, too, to say, hey, look, we're not as bad as a lot of people think that we are. And, uh, you know, beating UVA, I think, would be a long way to doing that. But I've, just, I've been more impressed with Virginia through two games than I have been with NC State through three. So give me Virginia. Virginia wins, but NC State covers that eight-and-a-half-point spread. I agree with Ricky. I agree with Ricky on that one. I mean, the Dennis Leary NC State team is certainly a little more intriguing than the Devin, not Dennis. I keep doing that. Dennis Leary's <laughs> actor, right? I'm sorry. Devin Leary. My bad. I've probably made that mistake a couple of times today. No worries. Okay, but yeah, NC State to cover. Duke travels to the dome. Duke, a two and a half point favorite. This game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> gross yeah this game does suck um i'll take syracuse i guess ah, no nah, just kidding i'll take duke i'll take duke i'll take syracuse i'll take duke all right mike screwed us on this one last week it's us i mean me because i listened to his betting advice pittsburgh <laughs> travels to boston college Pitt, a five and a half point favorite not quite the 14 points they were spotted last week that they couldn't cover or the 14 point spread that they had to cover who do you got in this one? Listening to me for betting advice was your first problem. Uh, I think Pitt rebounds here and wins. Boston College, they're suspect. I don't know. I I don't think they're necessarily as good as we saw last week, but I don't think it's, they're necessarily as bad as we saw two weeks ago against Texas State. I think they're probably somewhere in the middle, and I think Pitt rebounds here and takes care of the ball and does a bit better here on the road. I'm going to go with BC just because I think that they can keep that game closer than five and a half. I will take Pitt on this one. All right, last one, or second to last one of the non-tech ones. We got Clemson, a 14-point favorite at Miami. Really intriguing matchup here, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I think Miami's pretty good, but I don't think they're number seven good quite yet. Give me Clemson by a few scores here. I think they they win and cover, but I think that spread is right around where I think the game total will be. Um, give me Clemson. They're the better team, but Miami, I think, can can hold their own at least. Clemson is pissed off because people are saying that Virginia got a moral victory. Uh, I'm going to take Clemson to roll Miami. I'll take Clemson too. The worst thing that could happen to Miami is how well Virginia played against Clemson last week. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there's no way that Dabo's going to let those guys stink it up for another game. All right, Notre Dame hosts Florida State. A 20-and-a-half-point favorite are the Irish. What do you got? The only thing that makes me hesitant here not to choose Notre Dame is they haven't played in three weeks. Um, but Florida State's been pretty bad. Even with Jordan Travis, a quarterback, I think they might have found something there offensively last week. But Notre Dame's just too good, man. G- give me ND here big. I think they cover. Yeah. <laughs> quite, quite honestly, that's a huge number, but I think they cover. Yeah, I agree. Florida State sucks. Get going, give me the Irish. I'll take Florida State. Why not? All right. The big one, gentlemen. The Tar Heels. Five-point favorite at home against the Hokies. The one we've had circled for a long time. Where are you going? I got the Hokies outright. I think they're the better team. I've, you know, I've seen two games of each team. I've been much more impressed with Virginia Tech. I think that pans out that way on Saturday, especially considering the fact the weather's going to be bad. Regardless of who's in the secondary for Tech, I don't think it's going to matter as much because I think the weather negates that advantage that North Carolina ordinarily would have. Um, I think Tech wins outright. I do think it's lower scoring because of the weather. I'm going to say 23-17. I think Tech wins by a touchdown. Um, that line is going to move. UNC is not going to be a five-point favorite when this game kicks off. I'm going to go with Tech uh, to win outright. And score-wise, we'll go uh, 28 to 20. The COVID questions make this so hard, but we'll assume we get Hendon Hooker back. We'll assume we get the DBs back, and I'll take the Hokies to win and cover. I like it to be real close, maybe a three-point game, maybe a one-point game. Who knows? But give me the Hokies. All right, folks. We got Luther Maddie coming your way next. Stay tuned to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. All right, folks. Today we are pleased to be joined by Virginia Tech's all-time leader in games played, one of the most decorated defensive linemen in school history, Mr. Luther Maddie. Luther, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I can't complain. It's Wednesday. It's nice outside. <laughs> Everything's good on my end. I want to start by by asking you about your background. Born in Haiti, grew up in Florida, didn't start playing football until I believe your freshman year of high school, if I'm correct. Mm. By your senior year, you're getting recruited by Frank Beamer, Charlie Wiles, Bud Foster. By your freshman year, playing in every game, making tackles on the biggest stages, including the Sugar Bowl, what attracted you to tech and how was that transition from being a young kid who had never got on the gridiron before to making noise on the biggest stage? Yeah, man. So my journey to tech has definitely been an interesting one. So back to what you said a little bit earlier, I actually didn't get my scholarship to tech until the day before the day before signing day. And uh, yeah, so I started playing organized football my freshman year in high school down in South Florida in Darray Beach, Florida. Um, I've been playing ball since I was probably in middle school, just, you know, in the neighborhood, hanging out with my cousins and, and such. But as far as organized ball, yeah, you're right. I didn't start until my, my uh, freshman year at Atlantic in high school. And I guess what attracted me to Tech was more so we kind of had a pipeline from my high school to Tech already in place. We had guys like uh, David Clowney, J. Ron Holsley, uh, Mark Leal, uh, me and Daddy came in, but uh, Brandon Flowers, all those guys have already played at Tech. And uh, basically what happened was Tech came down to my high school. They knew some of our coaches. They kind of stopped by just to say what's up. 
And my defensive line coach, Coach Brooks, kind of just threw my name out there, me and Daddy. And um, they gave Daddy a scholarship within the week. They didn't have one for me just yet. So I had to wait a little bit. A couple weeks later, it came in the day before signing day. So it's de- definitely been a blessing. <laughs> definitely an interesting course. But what attracted me, I'll say, is that pipeline. Those guys had a lot of good things to say about Tech. And when I took my, my, my official visit at the end of January, I kind of just felt, you know, I, I know it's not like a cliche, but I just felt right at home. You know, I felt like I would fit in. The, the coaches were me with open arms, Coach Foster, Coach Wiles. They always kept it real with me. Um, spoke to Coach Beams a little bit. But it was really Coach Wiles, honestly, that kind of brought me in. He kept it real, told me what, the, what I can expect, talked to me about playing time, um, you know, things like that. And he was always real with me. I felt like he was honest all the time. And the players were kept it real. Coach, I mean, uh, J. Ron Hosley. He's from the same city. He had a lot of good things to say. And if he had good things to say, I knew it was real. So this was an intimal part in me coming to Tech. Luther, you had the opportunity to play with a ton of guys who got a, a lot of recognition. But I want to ask you about guys that you played with that had the biggest impact that nobody really talked about. Guys that kind of went under the radar, but all of y'all knew that they were really impact players. Who were some of the guys that were really, really impactful during your time at Tech, but never really got all the credit they deserved. Gotcha, yeah. Um, I was actually talking about him a couple of days ago. He actually did get a lot of credit, being that he was, you know, all ACC and had all the accolades. But Jack Jack Tyler, one of those guys that uh, he played linebacker in the middle right there, and he, he did so, so much for us, man. Like, when I tell you, this guy made plays and communicated the defense and made sure everybody was straight. Uh, before the play got started. He was a, a big part of that Hokies defense. Um, another guy I would say is Eddie Whitley. When I first got to Tech um, as a freshman, he was that one guy that I could always kind of shadow and, and look to if I want to make the, you know, to make my presence felt. I'd always kind of follow Eddie's lead, and he's now the JMU. I think he's a defensive back coach at JMU now. And um, he's just done a great job, man. I, was, I remember walking in, he always had energy literally every single practice whether it was blew me outside and everybody's bodies hurt. He was that guy that would be energetic and, you know, really vocal and make sure we were good to go before the, before the game got here. Um, another young boy I want to mention is, is Mook, Mook Reynolds. I know things didn't really go the way they wanted to the, the last couple of years at Tech, but he had a lot of potential, man. Um, he was a really great player. I had a lot of, a lot of, you know, I was really feeling good about him as a player, but he didn't really get to pan out the way he wanted it to, but, I feel really good about Mook. Um, I already mentioned Eddie and uh, and obviously Jack Tyler at linebacker. Luther, how impactful were Charlie Wiles, obviously being your position coach, and Bud Foster on your career from the time that you were recruited to Tech to the time you left the program once you graduated? How impactful were they all the way through, and what did they mean to you in your career? Oh man, they were insanely impactful. Um, the thing, the thing about Coach Wiles and Coach Foster is they were always honest. They didn't really, they didn't sugarcoat anything. So if you weren't playing well, they're gonna let you know. Obviously, they're gonna tell you what it is. They're not gonna sugarcoat anything. They came at me straight up and said, "Hey, you need to do better stopping the run." Because I was already a pretty good pass rusher. Um, I was kind of light in the butt. I was about maybe two. I mean, not light, but I wasn't the biggest guy out there. About two eighty-five ish, two eighty-two ninety, I guess. But um, I just couldn't really hold up against the run as best as well as I should at first, my first couple of years at Tech. So they sat me down in the spring, say, hey, we need you to stop the run a little bit better. 
work on your hand technique and work on your eyes in the backfield. And I, and I worked on that, worked on it, worked on it. And I had a really productive junior year having um, 13 and a half TFLs. So just being able to keep it real with me, um, they, hold, they held me accountable, whether it was in the classroom, um, things off the field. They helped me become a better man. You know what I'm saying? So just them, you know, being upfront and honest was really, really a big deal to me at Tech. Luther, now you kind of experienced the end of that Frank Beamer era, which is so cherished by Virginia Tech fans and really <laughs> built this program. You were able to, in Beamer's last game, the Independence Bowl, you were able to get to the quarterback. You were part of that UVA game that preserved the bowl or the UVA win streak for Frank Beamer. How emotional was that for that locker room, that being your last game, Frank Beamer's last game? Touch on that and, and just mention any other games that you played in your career that really stuck out. Oh, man, you just mentioning that right there. It gave me some shivers down my back. <laughs> especially that Tulsa game, because I remember it. Yeah, it was a high-scoring game. I think it was like maybe 45 to 43 was the end of the score, something like that, something in the 40s. But I just remember those last two plays, like the play before the last play, I ended up getting a sack and um, bringing them in the backfield. I think it was me and, and T. Eddie. And then the next play after that, me and Daddy ran a stunt on that left side. It was like a, 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 a T.E. where I had to, you know, go up against the inside shoulder of the um, – of that right tackle and daddy went inside and he got the sack. So those two plays I'll never forget. That's because, you know, we're on a, it was coach beams last game. It was obviously me and me and my boy, daddy's last game was being seniors and being able to kind of step up and make a play to win the game. That, that'll be a memory that I'll never forget. And also that UVA game that you mentioned, you know, we didn't have a really great season and um, we're at, we're, at, we're about to potentially lose that, uh, lose that UVA game, but we dug deep. I rallied the guys together um, I was obviously a senior. I was a team captain. The guys trusted me. I told them to kind of play it cool, um, do your part. Don't try and be Superman. Just do what you need to do. And those guys locked it in for that last quarter there against UVA, and we found a way to pull it out. So um, those two games right there is definitely memorable. Also a game that I think I'll never forget is the game against UNC. I believe it was the um, the last home game my senior year. We lost. But I just remember the defense really stepping up and trying to make a play. And on that last drive, one of those last two drives, I went ahead and um, I had a strip fumble against uh, Marquise Williams. And I would give the ball back to the offense. Uh, we couldn't capitalize and win the game. But that's the one play where I, where I figured, like, you know, we need to, I need to go make a play. And I find a way to get a strip fumble. Although we lost, the fact that the team was able to come together and give us the best chance to win late in the game, that, that's something I'll never forget as well. Luther, I want to ask you about what was supposed to be your senior season, the 2014-15 year. You know, you guys go and upset Ohio State. It's a two-part question here. Number one, just being able to play in that game and that atmosphere, what that was like, and then having to obviously come back home the following week, lose a really tough game to East Carolina, and then you got hurt shortly thereafter. How motivated were you? After everything that happened up until that point, how motivated were you coming off of your injury going into that 2014 or that 2015-16 season where, you know, you win that Independence yeah. Bowl and you, and you come back to school for a fifth year? Man, it was crazy because at that point when I um, – so I actually got hurt against East Carolina. Sometime at the – I think it was in the second quarter, right before the half, I was in the pass rush move. I think it was a two-minute drill, and I kind of just took the wrong step in the wrong way. 
and I instantly felt it, but I didn't think it was a big deal. And then, um, long story short, I ended up getting looked at, and I figured it was actually a big injury, they told me, but I could still play on it, so I decided to keep playing, and we played against Georgia Tech, and um, I figured, you know, I think Woody and Nigel was behind me. They were kind of somewhat inexperienced, so I figured, you know, this is an ACC matchup. This is a big-time game. Let me go ahead and play and, and, and ride it out. We ended up losing, but I had to put it on and, and kind of suck it up for my team and try to give us a chance to win. And after that game, it just kind of swelled up. And at that point, I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. So at that point, I was at a, uh, you know, it was a really dark place. I kind of get second thoughts about even playing football anymore because the year prior, I had a really strong season. I could have left early um, with Kai Sean and declared for the draft, but I decided not to when I came back to school. And then um, next thing you know, I, I get injured. So I was in a dark place, man. But the thing is, Coach Wild, Coach Foster, my teammates, all my boys, literally everybody on the defense, guys on the offense, guys that I, you know, didn't really speak to as much, but we had a friendly relationship. They always come in and check up on me in rehab and say, hey, Lou, how you feeling, man? We want you back on the field. We miss your presence and all that good stuff. And that really kept me going because, like I said, I kind of had sick of thoughts about even playing football anymore after that injury. I was like, dang, I, this, this injury is tough. Um, I don't really know if I want to play ball, but those guys checking in on me and giving me those encouraging words really kept me going. And then when I entered into my, my senior season, which was my fifth year, just the trust that they instilled in me was like, yeah, I got I to gotta show up for these. Well, I'm going to literally give them everything they got. So at Tech and within Hokie Nation, man, it's, it's really a family atmosphere. I know it's kind of a cliche, like, you know, we're family and those are my boys, but that's literally how I felt. Like, I'll, I'll ride a die for those boys, seriously. Luther, you've talked about what Charlie Wiles and Bud Foster have meant to you, but when you look at the team as currently constituted with Bill Tierlink and Daryl Tapp and Justin Hamilton running this defense, I want to talk about this defensive line and the differences that you're seeing on this line as compared to the last couple of seasons. So far, the line looks extremely productive. They're getting to the quarterback. Um, they're one of, I think they're top 25 in sacks so far per game uh, th- through their first two games. What's changed on this defensive line under Bill Tierlink and Daryl Tapp that's made them more productive? Yeah, I think what's made them more productive is just their pass rush moves in a sense. Like, if you watch them on film, they're literally working a move almost every single play. They're not, they're not oozing off the ball or just kind of um, – thinking too much and just going on a go. Like, they're, they're, they're playing reckless, but it's like a controlled recklessness. Like, they're getting off the ball, they're going up the field, and they're just wrecking everything, literally in the backfield. Um, that first game, you had Justice Reed. He had two sacks, I believe, in his first game in, in that uh, in the Hokies uniform, and he was really productive. And then last week, uh, Belmar was all ACC, you know, ACC defense lineman of the week, and he had three sacks. And Belmar didn't really produce last year. And he's one of those guys I actually worked out with him a couple summers ago I, I, I drove up to Tech and I worked up with a bunch of the guys in the indoor facility. And I can instantly tell that Belmar has some potential. He just got, he just has to put it all together. He's one of those guys I was kind of just kind of thinking too much. You can tell he was worried about making the wrong play and just wasn't playing to the best of his, his ability. But those guys, the tier link and, and tap, they came out there and they, they trust him, right? And they got him feeling encouraged and got him feeling motivated. So when he watched them off film, they're just shooting up the field. They run, they run in pass rush moves. They're, they're excited. They have plenty of energy. And has led a, a productive game last week with seven sacks. Um, and I think it would be imperative that they do the same thing against UNC in the, in the upcoming days. Luther, 
you are again part of that Frank Beamer era, and that with Coach Wiles and Bud Foster gone, you know the last remnants of that longtime coaching staff are gone. In is Justin Hamilton at defensive coordinator. New defensive scheme to an extent. I don't know if we've seen it in its full ferocity, given the COVID issues that have put Justin Hamilton off the sideline for two weeks and Ryan Smith, who called the first game, also out last week, leaving your boy Jack Tyler to call the plays. What's your (laughs) initial take on this defense? What differences do you see and how do you think overall as a group they've played so far? Yeah, so they've been playing really well. I think what I've been seeing is that they're playing to run a lot better. Um, I mean, we've always said they run well, but I kind of had a, a feeling that we may not play it as well um, this upcoming season for whatever reason, they're tearing things in the offseason. But they've been quite surprising. Um, it's the guys, I think it also with the defensive line. I may, I may be a little biased here, being that I played D-line, but those guys up front, they really, they're really getting things going. With Hewitt, Hewitt had a big-time game last week also. I think he had almost one and a half or two, two TFLs in the backfield. Um, one of the leaders of that defense. And I think the biggest difference is they're playing a little bit more, a little bit more zone. Um, not as much, man. Um, obviously the D line is getting in the backfield. They're causing the quarterbacks to make hurry throws. And we're kind of depleted with the, with the DBs right now. So we had to step up in the front seven. And I think when those guys do come back uh, the, with the Wallers and the Diablos and, um, you know, Chapman, and all those guys get back in the starting lineup. I think this defense has the potential to be probably, you know, top 10 in the nation. So um, just the guys really buying in um, different schemes just a little bit. I see a little bit of what Coach Foster did as far as the blitzing and, and being aggressive, but those guys are locked in. They, they're buying into the scheme, and they're being very productive these first two games. Luther, schematically on the defensive line, I mean, it's been pretty well documented in the secondary that there's been a notable switch from man to zone, and they're playing more zone under Justin Hamilton. But as far as the defensive line, the scheme up front, what are the mm-hmm. most notable differences to you with tier link and tap and what ha- Coach Hamilton's doing defensively yeah. up front versus what they did with Bud Foster? Yeah, so up front, what I'm seeing in the in the defensive line, Coach Foster and Coach Wiles did this a little bit when I was at Tech for the years after I played at Tech, is they're running some more stunts. And the stunts are really meshing very well. So you can run a stunt, but for guys, if you're not on the same page and you're, you know, maybe shooting the B gap too early, and therefore that guy can kind of come off of you and get back to the other defensive tackle in the, other, in the A gap or whatever it might be, the other switching gap, they can kind of just mess up everything. You don't, you don't even get pressure on the quarterback. But these guys are running stunts, and it's actually working. They understand the timing. They know how to how to use their hands. They're, they're filling it up the field and selling the A gap and then going back into the B gap or going and, and, and getting it contained. So I think the biggest difference is the, is the stunts that they're running up front. Um, those guys have a really good idea of the guy that's next to them. So that's a part of one, uh, Tillich and Tap being great coaches. But also they get, these guys have a lot of another, another year under their belt, and they understand each other. They're more comfortable. Um they're, they're seniors for the most part, other than Paula. He's kind of a young buck. But Justice has played football quite a bit. You've got Hewitt. You've got Belmar. Those guys have all played a lot of football. So they understand what's going on. They understand that, you know how to keep contained, how to keep leverage. And they're running their stunts almost to perfection as of right now, the first two games of the season. Luther, another per- or question I had that relates more to this team is that there's been a lot made about Tech's recruiting efforts over the last couple of seasons. And, According to the rankings, whether it be Rivals or 247, they 
they haven't been all that great. But as mm-hmm. someone who knows what to look for in terms of specific skill sets, talents, athleticism, when you look at the guys that Tech is signing, when you look at the players that they're bringing into the program, what do you see and how does that compare to the star ratings for a guy like you obviously came in as a low rated recruit and obviously outperformed that rating. When you look at the recruiting classes that are coming in now, do you think that they, that these rating services are getting them wrong? I do. Um, I think I've been a big believer in that since I was, since I was in high school before tech even started recruiting me when I was like a sophomore in high school. Cause I know how these things work with these recruiting services. Like he goes to a bunch of camps, and he looked good in shorts and a helmet or shorts and short shorts and a, and a, and a t-shirt. And he goes to maybe four camps this summer. And then in junior year, you go to another few more camps and you get like this MVP award. All of a sudden you're the best player in the, in the, in the nation. So me being a, me seeing that being in South Florida, I'm just like, come on, like these stars don't make any sense. And me being in Florida too, is I know the talent that's around. So like being in South Florida and guys that play in Texas and Georgia and Cali, there's literally talent everywhere, but these, these recruiting service may not see everybody. So a three-star in Florida or a two-star in Florida might actually be a, you know, four or five-star NBA, not to, not to down talk to Virginia players, but <laughs> it is a whole different atmosphere. So they can definitely be misinterpreted. Um, it's all about having that right eye uh, with the coaches. I know Coach Foster and Coach Bean, they spoke about that quite a bit about, it's not really about the stars. You have to actually go see them in person get to know them, and you can kind of get a good feel if this person will kind of pan out within your program. Uh, me being a two-star, I can be a testament to that. Um, I had maybe, what, another uh, – my other power five scholarly might have been Washington, and they offered me, like, the day of signing day. And then we had, like – I had, like, Marshall and Western Michigan. And I knew I was a player, but I didn't go to all those camps. I went to maybe one camp, and um, it was in, I think, Fort Lauderdale – and my boy was going to the camp, and he said, hey, just tag along. And I was just kind of watch me and be supportive. And I was on the sidelines, and then the, one of the coaches was like, hey, Luther, uh, you kind of you got some good size. You want to go in and participate? I'm like, nah, I'm just here to support my boy. And I didn't even have any cleats. But the coach grabbed some cleats, gave them to me. I participated, and I got MVP of the camp. And then next thing you know, I you know I check online. You know when you're in high school, you kind of Google yourself here and there. So I check online. Next thing you know, I got these articles about, you know, Luther Maddie won this, and I'm all of a sudden getting some recognition from some some small camp that I went to. So they definitely get it wrong. It's not about these stars. I'm not a big star person. I've seen plenty of four five star, four stars come through tech and not pan out. You know, I love them boys to death, but they weren't very good players on the football field. I won't say any names, but there are four-star players with their rankings when they get to tech. You know, they're, they're slow. Um, they don't lift any weights. They're, they're a bit lazy. Uh, they can't understand play concepts. So those stars, you can kind of just throw that out the water. Luther, I want to transition to talking about this week's game. North Carolina this is a game that Tech fans have had circled on the calendar since basically last season ended. We know about Sam Howe, the talent at quarterback. Such an impressive true freshman year for him down there in Chapel Hill. So far, a little bit of a shaky, slow start to the season for them. They're still 2-0. and Howe not exactly living up to those early expectations we know there's still a ton of potential there. On the other side, they are running the ball very effectively with Michael Carter. Tar Heels averaging about four and a half yards per game on the ground. 
if you are Justin Hamilton, if you're this defensive coaching staff, what do you have to emphasize to slow down this North Carolina offense? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So although, as you just mentioned, Sam Howard's not necessarily playing to his best, to his best potential. Um, you got Newsom. He's only got maybe six or six or something, six or seven or eight targets throughout the entire season. He's not putting up big numbers. But with that being said, you know these guys are dynamic players and it can kind of explode at any second. So I would, what I would do is I would still emphasize stop the run. That's with anybody that you're playing. You have to stop the run and try to make teams one-dimensional. So at that point, if you can, if you can contain Carter, um, contain the bigger guy, Williams, in the backfield and kind of keep them from running the ball outside or inside zone or stretch, whatever they like to do, and force them to throw the football, you then have a better chance of getting pressure on the quarterback and force them into some ill-advised throws. It might be a, a rush throw here, or it might be an interception or a batted pass, and which, we can, which you can then lead the turnovers. And if you win the turnover margin, you got a better chance of winning the game. So I think it's imperative that you go ahead and emphasize stopping the run and um, making Sam Howell throw the football. Although he's such a great player, I don't care who you are, whether you're Tom Brady, Pete Manning, if you get pressure on the quarterback, they become average. So let's go ahead and stop the run and try to get some pressure on the QB. Hey, Luther, I have to ask you, with so many pieces – you know, starting guys out in the secondary last week, and we're still not really sure who's going to be playing, who's not in the secondary this week. How concerning yeah. is it really? I mean, all the all the talking heads are talking about, you know, Tech doesn't have all their, all their starting players in, and obviously they're down to second and third stringers in the secondary. But if the pass rush is good, how much do you think that can negate any issues that Tech has from depth perspective in the secondary this Saturday? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always like to say that um, it's like a string. So the DBs and the defensive line, they work together. If we can get pressure on the quarterback, those guys in the back end don't have to cover as long. And if those guys can get some good coverage in the back end, the guys up front may go ahead and get a coverage sack or get a hit on the quarterback. So with us lacking in the, in the secondary and the defensive back position, it's a very, very imperative that the guys up front have to get to the quarterback. So in regards to your question, I think – I think it is a big deal, quite honestly, because there's going to be times where we just cannot get to the quarterback. They may have, you know, slack protection or have an extra man inside the box protecting the quarterback. It's at that point that the DBs are kind of left on an island but on their own, and they have to make a play. And it's at that moment, can they actually make those big plays against, uh, against Brown or, uh, or Newsom, not, Newsom might get off or Corrales, whatever his name is. Um, if those guys can't cover back there in the back end, or no matter how much pressure you get, at some point, we can't always get to the quarterback, right? So you have to make a play. And those guys are a bit experienced. We played pretty well the, the past two games. Um, but UNC is a lot more explosive with, the, with their wide receivers and their, um, their offensive weapons. So we got to step up. It is imperative that we get to the quarterback. But at the same time, um, with the depleted secondary, it does concern me quite a bit. Luther, Virginia Tech's running game has been phenomenal, right, through the first two games. Um, yeah. That's not how, not always hasn't been the case uh, over the last couple seasons. So with this offensive line, is it more so Khalil Herbert and, and his vision and how he's been able to break off some of these runs, or is the offensive line really generating that big of gaps in order to get Khalil Herbert on the run? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both. And, um, and big props to Herbert, but if you watch the film – especially against Duke a, a few a few days ago. There were some gaping holes out there. I mean, I could have probably ran through that hole and scored the touchdown. <laughs> so I think 
Yeah, I think I think it really is a bigger a bigger part as the O line is just doing their assignments. So if you watch the film, they're I mean they're big, strong guys. They're nasty, but they're not they're not necessarily just mulling guys to the ground. It's just a matter of those guys understanding their assignment. Like this is my guy that's a stretch play. I need to go. I need to go ahead and and reach out to this guy. They're able to find ways to bend that corner, get that cut block, seal him off, and create a nice gap for Herbert to to go in and hit the hole. But with that being said, he does have the he does have the vision. I have seen a few guys that I've played with that tech. We would have a nice little hole right there, and they just couldn't hit it. They'll be back there, kind of you know playing footsies with the grass and just not going anywhere. So it's a little bit of both, but I think it's more so just the old line really doing their job, understanding their assignment, and just executing. Luther, before we let you go, we want to know your three keys to victory for Virginia Tech on Saturday. And if you can give us a score prediction or at least an outcome prediction, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, great. So my three keys. One, um, definitely have to get to the quarterback. Um, I'm expecting some of our DBs to still be out this week, so we need to get to the quarterback, get some sacks, get some big hits on how, and kind of limit him. Um, two, we do have to throw the ball down the field more. I know we were successful the past two games running the football, but UNC has a pretty good defense. I think they've been held, they've been holding guys to under 100 yards rushing throughout the first two games, averaging under 100 yards rushing. So, two, we have to find a way to throw the ball down the field, whether it's an incomplete pass or not. You got to keep these guys honest and throw the ball down the field. And then three, we got to win a turnover battle. Um, we've been doing a pretty good a pretty good job protecting the football, but this game seems a bit more personal. So guys may try and do some trick plays or might play with a little bit more effort, and we just need to be able to take care of the football, and we'll get a, we'll get a dub this week. Um, as far as the prediction, I want to go, let's see. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game, but I see us winning by at least 10 points. So um, I'll go 31-20 tech. <laughs> All right. Luther, thank you so much for joining us. We know that you're doing the pregame and postgame action with John Laser nowadays. Uh, where can our listeners yeah. hear that? How can they get more from you? Yeah, that's my boy, man. I've been doing it the past. Uh, it's my second season. It's been good. I'm, I'm excited. It keeps me involved with football. And if you catch us on uh, Leafield IMG Radio, um, whatever app you have, just look for Learfield, type in Virginia Tech football radio, and you'll, you'll go in and find us before the game and after, after the game for post-game analysts. Thank you again, man. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Luther. Guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Luther. Yes, sir. Yeah, let's do it again soon. You got it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening to the Hokey Hangover podcast. I am Andrew Alex. For Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, we appreciate each and every one of you who listen, don't forget, go ahead, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, follow us individually on Twitter, leave us a nice review, and most importantly, tell your hokey friends if you enjoy the podcast. We'll be back soon to review what happened in this all-important UNC game and look ahead to the next week. We will see you then, folks. As always, enjoy your Saturday, be safe, and more importantly than I think it's been in a while, go Hokies.